Welcome to Adopting Zero Trust, an independent podcast. Our hosts, Elliot Volkman and Neil Dennis, will have transparent and open conversations with the people driving modern security approaches forward while leaving vendor hype behind. It's time to remove implicit trust and buzzwords and get to the root of the movement. Hello and welcome back to Adopting Zero Trust or AZT. I am Elliot Volkman, your producer, alongside Neil Dennis, our host, and a wonderful guest, Mr. David Wysong who is a CIO over at a, is it a clean energy, clean tech company? Am I getting that wrong already? Yeah, we're an energy efficiency and energy climate mitigation program, our company. Excellent. All right. A lot of regulations and concerns. and Our smart. clients have high standards. That is so well stated. I love it. <laughs> and that is just a perfect way to kick this off before I hand this off for a self-introduction. Today, we are going to be talking about something that I think is plaguing probably people like you on a daily basis, maybe not an hourly basis, of what I lovingly call quit bugging the C-suite. So in a lot of cases, it's quit harassing the CISO. You are a CIO, very similar in nature, a little bit broader scope. But security vendors, which Neil uh, and myself have worked with, have been through this conversation so many times. It's, we want to sell into these companies. Let's terrorize them. But we want to flip the conversation. We want to actually see what happens behind the scenes. Instead of just telling them, quit bugging them, let's have a conversation. And that's where this episode comes from. So that is all to say, David, I'm so glad you're here. This has been a much needed piece of the puzzle. And to get your perspective, we'll get, kick into it in a minute. But David, maybe you can give us a little bit of background on yourself, because obviously you didn't wake up and become a CIO. You've got a pretty diverse tech background, and I'd love to dig into that a little bit. Sure. Thank you. Uh, I have been CIO at Energy Solutions for now five years, and in my previous uh, positions, I've always been in a position of building technical teams, both as a VP of uh, IS and a VP of software development. And so uh, it's been very technically focused. I'm typically one, uh, if not maybe two technology executives in more what you would refer to as traditional companies. And that's certainly the case at Energy Solutions. And we were born out of um, serving a market uh, of utilities to help them implement energy efficiency and clean energy programs. And being the voice of the technology side, you have partners in that often in traditional organizations, that'll be finance department manages a lot of risk for an organization. And so that's typically who I'll interface with at the C-suite level when discussing risk and coincidentally building you know, the teams and building software, you end up having to reach out and look for frameworks that will help you further your, your risk mitigation strategy. And that's something that we do a lot of at Energy Solutions because again, our clients demand it. They, we are just under 500 employees, but many of our clients are sometimes tens of thousands of employees. And so their need for vendors like Energy Solutions is to adopt and be at their level of enterprise security and risk mitigation. And so I think my career has been really one of marrying the technology side to the business needs. Sometimes that has been 
a work product, which is, you know, enterprise facing software. Other times it's been helping steer the product direction of an organization and the technology aspects of that toward fruition. Yeah. I love your background because it's so perfect for the conversation we're trying to have, which is essentially our audience is primarily security practitioners or adjacent to it. Um, they can't just say, Hey, there's this hundred thousand dollar platform that we need. It'll solve all of our problems, silver bullet problem solved. Obviously there's larger conversations. It's how much pain is there? How much is there ROI? Is it cost effective? Are we a cost center? So there are just so many different factors. And obviously with your background and building teams, but having been part of those teams in and out, how those things function, especially because you also have a background leading product. So I'm sure you've had plenty of conversations with your counterparts in marketing and sales and been like, does it make sense to go after those people? Is this built for that person or is it built for people under them? And how does that entire right. ecosystem function? Yeah, and positioning is big. I think probably one of the most notable things at Energy Solutions is that we're interfacing with primarily utilities, but often state agencies and also the federal government. And so we get a very interesting perspective on where their risk tolerance is and their expectation of vendors. And it's really tough because we haven't always been just under 500 employees. So when you're starting in an organization that say has 100 employees, you can imagine you've got a lot of competing initiatives, both within the technology, the IT domain, but also just as a company. And so (laughs) you have limited budgets, you have limited bandwidth of what individual roles can do in a given week. And I think one of the, the things that I'm reminded is that a best practice is to have a more secure environment. Everyone can nod their head, but how do you level that up on a priority ladder? And one of the things that I've noticed, particularly at Energy Solutions and dealing you know, with our client requirements and preferences is, it's actually good business to be more secure. Our clients actually don't want more really super secure vendors. They want a smaller selection of really super secure vendors. It's not that they need more. They need to have certainty around the vendors that they work with that'll be at a particular level that they can trust, especially when you're dealing with issues of their data and their PII which we often get into for the work that we do on their behalf. And connecting that dots or connecting the dots between, oh, we have lots of priorities and you can, you can have an emphasis with maybe a particular service. If, as, if you zoom out enough and you realize that you become this trusted vendor and that that's all they're trying to make sure of and that you bring less effort on their part to vet you, then you are guaranteed repeat business because they want the predictability, they want certainty, and you're serving those things in in various capacities. And for us at Energy Solutions, we do that through some existing frameworks. And the first framework that we needed to adopt, which predates me joining the company, was the SOC 2 security controls and an annual SOC 2 audit. And that was what I would say the minimum price of admission 
was to say, okay, we, we handle data. How are we doing that as a services organization? How can we prove that and validate that through third-party um, audits? And inside of that, then you have really a whole buffet of different initiatives around access control, least, least privilege access. There's, there are a lot of things that are baked in there. It's a lot. We maintain over, well, it's over 200 security controls. And so you do your best when you begin a program like that, but it's a longer journey, which is part of what I try to stress both to the executive team and to our internal team, that you have to pick initiatives that you can get done in a block of time. And I think the place where I'm at now, five years later, is optimizing our process and then trying to read the tea leaves of what our clients want from us. And it turns out that a lot of language in our contracts nowadays is just lifted from NIST. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with it. It's a lot. And, you know, now SOC 2 audits end up being like literally a check mark on a security attestation. Do you have a SOC 2 audit check mark? Provide evidence. And then there's 500 other cybersecurity questions that we have to answer as part of our contractual commitment. And it ranges all over. They'll re-ask things that, of course, are sitting inside of your SOC 2, but really sometimes very pointed depending on their internal language, or they're just lifting clauses. It's almost like a mini audit in, unto itself that's laid onto our contracts that's from NIST mm-hmm. or even elements of ISO 27001 that play into it. And you're like, okay, I, I'm starting to see how they're organized and they want to map that to us as a vendor. And so-, so I want all that deal. No, no, Neil. I see you ready to go. I'm going to hold one question that I'm going to hand it over to you only because this is a little bit, it overlaps way too well with my day job. because I definitely understand where your head's at because I work in the risk and compliance space. But to make sure that we shape this conversation really well, what I'm hearing is that you're using these frameworks to identify the priorities and keep everything running in the right track record. And because of that, there are so many different things you're identifying risks and that you now have to mitigate it to, the, to an extent that you do. And sometimes with mitigation, you have to bring in new tools and technology and processes. 100%. Part of Which, That's it, Neil. Now it's you. Okay. Uh, I'll take no, you're good. Uh, no, you're good, David. Uh, Elliot, uh, Elliot will be happy with this one. I'm not going to take us too far okay. off topic yet. Yeah, I even have notes, so you can't really see them. Pause the screen, read them, whatever you want to do. But what I have at the top of this, and you started off right now, a really good piece, in my opinion. You talked about the tech to biz needs, right, and requirements. You mentioned requirements a couple of times already. You mentioned the actual needs and mapping these out. And then you also talked about another really great keyword, ROI. And as an Intel analyst, just to caveat this, as an Intel analyst, in my world, we don't work without requirements for what we need to be doing. And it, there are collection requirements, there's threat and all this other stuff that goes into it, long and short. It's still requirements. Requirements are requirements. So I'm intrigued by y'all as the middlemen in these conversations. You've hit this once again a little bit on the SOC 2 type stuff and the security compliance check marks. But what are y'all doing or how are y'all approaching the conversations with your potential vendors, partners, and then the clients on the other side to make sure that before you even get into the room, right, that they do have the requirements mapped out reasonably well, other than just check a box for SOC 2 type 2. 
because I'm sure there's a whole slew of other things that they should hopefully be considering. But how do you go into that conversation to make sure that they're aware that requirements other than just, I want to buy a tool are there on the table? Neil, are you asking how I might approach our vendors or how I might have that conversation with our clients? More with the clients, right? So the clients need to, I'm hoping the clients are coming to you with more than just the little checklist of, I need a vendor that's SOC 2, which is a good requirement. That's a great requirement. Are they coming to you? Maybe a better question. Are they coming to you with a legitimate in-depth list a lot of times to say, hey, we know what our business risks are and these are the things we're trying to mitigate. Here's those requirements list. Help us fill those gaps. Or are they just coming to you and saying, we just want SOC 2 and that's where we're at? They're, they are prescribing there that we don't there's very little discussion about how we meet or why they even have the requirements they have they're literally a condition of our master services agreements with the large utilities specifically with state agencies or federal government it's all prescriptive there's no dialogue about how we do it so it turns it it turns out it's are you doing it yes or no that's actually an interesting point that I'll bring up. When I first joined, it was, are you doing it? Yes or no. And then you submitted that back as a response with an attestation or cybersecurity questionnaire. And then it went to, are you doing it? Yes or no. If you're not doing it, when will you be doing it? And then it moved to, are you doing it? Yes or no. When are you doing it? Give me the evidence. So it, it was very prescriptive and very direct about fulfilling the gap for whatever the security thing is that they're going after. Why I referenced NIST is they've gone around, you've got the three things, right? You've got users, you've got devices, and then you have systems. In our case, we call systems that are applications or our platforms that we develop to manage the information that we need to run programs for our clients. And in, inside of that, there's a whole suite of things that we could be doing or doing on a continuum, like doing a decent job with, say, desktop or local encryption management. That, that's definitely a category to sometimes it's really important because you might be interfacing with the client's APIs. They want to know a lot more about your infrastructure and your access control and how they're basically exposing themselves with maybe an API endpoint, like who on your team has access to the systems that we're going to whitelist that IP address to even talk to this API. So it, it ranges um, depending on the client and the purpose of our engagement, but the, we're not in a great position to have dialogue around it. It's mostly from them to us. I'm reading the tea leaves about where the emphasis is for these larger organizations. These very large publicly you know, traded utilities are make up a lot of our portfolio and what, what they're trending towards. The things that are top of mind, you see them in the security attestation documents, which are an amendment to this MSA, right? We're going to do business. We're going to do these services and it's, oh yeah, here's the cyber requirements. I can tell you in the last three years, the trend on cyber liability insurance has just gone through the roof. The minimums that we need to provide and what that, the cost for that coverage has quadrupled. And do we have control over that? No. 
Can we <laughs> exempt it from our contracts? No. It's the price of us doing business. So we're constantly seeing this, this trend of things that come through in our client agreements. And then internally, each year, we kind of theme or prioritize what it is that we're going to spend a focus on. If we're barely doing something, which you know, kind of nets itself out in a SOC 2 audit, where it's like, hey, you passed, here's your unqualified audit. However, here are the list of recommendations that we strongly encourage you to move forward. That becomes part of the theme for next year's planning. And that does open up an opportunity because there's an entire, thankfully, growing market of cybersecurity tools that kind of play into different aspects of either access control, encryption, zero trust methodologies that, that, that may apply to us or may not because of the type of work that we do. There's a serving community of vendors that have solutions. I have to be able to compartmentalize what those solutions are. And I'm not paying attention to these things because we're doing a, a good job of it. But the recommendations maybe from our last audit or what we're seeing in a year over year differences in our penetration and vulnerability testing make us say, now it's time for us to have this type of monitoring software, or maybe it's an architectural change that we're promoting through our AWS stack. Nice. That, that helps. No. Oh, you're good. I love it. I think it's good. Thank you. One other quick question is we talking about the client stuff. And I think it's pretty straightforward. You're fortunate, I think, that it seems like a large portion of your clients have a pretty solid list of requirements leveraged to you. Now, in that vein, is there any point of education other than just, hey, you should get... So you, let me backstep this slightly. You talk about the escalation of it used to be yes, no, then it's yes, no, when, now it's yes, no, when, and she'll work, right? And so those are things you go back to the vendor. As you go through these trends and you see these shifts, are you taking these requirements or these asks or these solutions or these potential problems, if you will, and working with the vendors in your bucket to aptly get in front of some of these trends analysis and kind of coach them the right direction more aptly? Yes, we do. There is a feedback loop. It's, I would say some vendors want this information. Other vendors were just a customer and we're becoming a bigger customer for sure. But it's, I would say not all vendors are equal. And I think that's actually had a lot to do with my selection of different platforms that we needed to cover the basics. So we, we think a lot, at least at energy solutions, we think a lot about how do we manage our fleet? And so we were a mixed environments, not quite 80, 20, but windows versus Mac and just because of the size of our organization, I trend towards solutions that service both platforms and don't leave one platform out. And now you're, oh, this is an exception that I have to do extra work to figure out. So I look for, for solutions that will give me coverage, which simplifies our administration. The feedback comes when we're getting where we think we've, we've addressed something that maybe um, it could be a set of SOC, SOC 2 controls that we're like, oh, this is what we need. Or as we're, we adopt best practices from NIST and other security frameworks, where we're noticing that the questions that are coming to us are getting more specific 
from our clients. And then I'm asking questions to the vendors. Hey, what's on your roadmap to address this? Because this is super laborsome for us to generate. So some of that is the indirect. We're being asked for this every year for our audit. And can you make this easier for us to record evidence? Sometimes, and, and, and there, therefore, it goes into a SOC 2 audit. The, audit. the SOC 2 report goes to the client. The client says, this is great. Thank you. It's even more interesting as we move into some direct engagements with market actors, meaning not just utilities, not just state agencies or federal agencies, but market actors in the space that we serve would be like manufacturers or distributors and big ones that are national. And they now have very specific questions because we're doing engagements that deal with very sensitive data from them. And they are now coming to us with a list and saying, how are you approaching this? And that's, it's interesting because they're for-profit businesses selling things and they're engaging with us in a unique arrangement to help their market intelligence and help them, you know, participate in the programs that we, that we orchestrate for utilities and for state agencies. So we, it's a different kind of relationship and I'm seeing more specifics asked about how we manage something. It's, I think it was inevitable, but it's at a level that, that they need comfort because in, in, in those engagements, Sometimes we're doing something directly with them and sharing and exchanging information that they've never done that with any organization externally. And so they understandably have a, a high desire to make sure that our organization is managing things at a level that, that they feel comfortable with. And we will get into discussions that I, I always say we, when we're talking about how we manage our corporate fleet, our users and the devices that we manage, we have three agents that go on every system. So we have something for antivirus, something for encryption management, and something for remote, man remote management and monitoring. Without fail, that, that occurs on all the systems. If you swing over to the things where we develop software, that's, it's their internet applications, and that the data that sits behind that platform is sensitive between us and another organization, be it a utility, a state agency, or in some case, uh, a market partner who would be just a giant enterprise, a big HVAC vendor or, or a big lighting vendor or a distributor of set equipment. They, they are asking us very specific questions about how we manage and how we manage and monitor where those applications are hosted. In our case, they're all hosted at AWS. And we do get into some discussion about how do we prove that we have a secure environment? And these are, of course, in-scope systems that we do in our SOC 2 audit. But how do we prove in that hosted environment that we're good stewards of our very sensitive information? And that, that gets into the details. Uh, most of the time, you don't have to pull the curtain back to show things, but we're starting to have those conversations, which is more in-depth 
then say our utility clients are very interested to make sure that, that we have a third party vetting our infrastructure, but they generally will not dictate much beyond that. And getting an audit is good for them. And then asking us a bunch of questions that, that kind of are like a mini audit, but they're not prescriptive in what we use, but we're starting to see a little bit of, this is how we manage something and we'd like you to be using the same thing. And I think that's going to be a trend, at least for our organization, where we have to be responsive. Nice. I appreciate that. So the, the one thing in the back of my brain that I hope people are listening and get out of this at, at, at Corpy so far, there's been this trend and it ebbs and flows of people moving away from service providers and resellers and purveyors of the, the what I consider the more consultative people in the room, but it always goes back left, right. Now we've got large enterprises potentially bringing socks in house and moving away from services. We've got small shops that always have to take advantage of services. So I say all that because I hope people understand that people like you, like your company as a whole, intermediaries either to help provide a solution or shorten the time to get a solution in play are really critical when really at any stage, whether you're a big enterprise or whether you're a little company, if you've got critical infrastructure in particular, you don't want to spend nine months a year trying to figure out if tool A, B, and C is really right for your environment, especially if there's an entity out there that's already done all that work. So right. consultatively speaking, which is also part of my background, I think it's important to have people like yourself in that role that can help me go from point A to point D in, in as short order as possible. So I appreciate you highlighting and explaining those process flows. I think it's very important for people to understand. Now, moving that forward a little bit, thinking about this from security practices and where someone would go, you've hit on this a little bit from a timeliness perspective, but what kind of role do you think y'all play outside of just compliance, but from helping people maybe understand better, like a zero trust mentality applied to X, Y, and Z policy and procedure, like NIST pick a flavor or whatever compliance. How, what's y'all's kind of role in maybe potentially coaching them along a path that makes a little more sense structurally in that way? Well, one, you just said the key word, it's a path. You don't get it all. There is no, there's no, hey, can I just pay X amount and then I can cover my security needs? Each organization does a lot of things. Lots of organizations have basic infrastructure that you could say almost a hundred percent, whether it's. Okay, everyone has email. Everyone has the need for some office stack, the, the, the basics, right? But it gets quite nuanced. And I think where I consider a big part of my job is to work with our clients so that they understand that we have a path. There, there's a route. There's a roadmap about things that we're doing that are, it's ne the work is never done. There's always the next audit. There's you know, certainly there are like in SOC's case, you know, for SOC 2 audits specifically, the controls from time to time will get revised and more, more broken, more granular in terms of their measurement. So I think it's both for client and for the C-suite, the management of the company is talking about that there's the roadmap and then trying to articulate the themes. And the themes have to be, the, that's the translation part that's sometimes difficult for both, really, because our clients, 
our clients are generally, certainly they're not technology companies. They have a, a department inside that's, that wants to make sure that we're compliant with their requirements. But there's often other people involved. So you have to say, hey, this is where we're at for our initiatives. And then when I look at the stakeholders inside of my organization, it's staging how much of that IT budget will be devoted towards the security compliance initiatives and what are the themes. Some years, it's not buying new tools. In other years, it's, wow, we needed to move ourselves in a more definitive direction, talking about zero trust specifically. Why is it that we trust whatever someone's notebook is connected to that they're getting back DNS? That's legit. Like, why would we do that? That seems totally crazy. And so that's something that would be an additional expense to outfit us with some form of security DNS as an organization. That wasn't last year's priority, but that will likely be a 2024 priority for us. And we've taken care of basics of endpoint security to protection or even encryption, local encryption on a system. But there's different emphasis points that we have to direct. And I have to weave a story and we're on a journey. And I think that's, that's where I think I probably frustrate some security providers because I can say definitively, hey, we, what we have right now, we've already done the budgeting and it's going to meet our needs for the next year. So I'm not, I'm actually not open for that discussion because I'm pouring my energy into the two or three things that we need to, the next milestones we need to get to. And if they don't have that product, then it's, you can call me back next year and, and we can certainly have a discussion. Please don't call me in between because I have a solution that's in place and I need to talk to the people who have whatever it is, whether it's security NS or encryption management or different ways to look at MFA and SSO across our entire ecosystem. So those are things that I have to be pretty vigilant to keep as priorities. I don't know if that directly answers your question, but that's, that's where I find myself having those conversations. I think it tees off another good statement here is that just because you got requirements today doesn't mean the requirements tomorrow, right? We got to always yeah. be mindful that things shift, threats shift, needs shift. And yeah, yeah. And I think what's interesting too is as you is there's a developing industry of of companies that have solutions. There's some knee jerk reaction when there are problems. I remember we got out of out of cycle cybersecurity attestation that said, "Hey, are you deploying or have you deployed or currently have deployed whatever the Kaseya solution is?" When we had that issue. And I actually, it was a separate adjacent, like this is put in front of us. And I, I think it was across three or four of our very large clients. They wanted to know. And I was like, wow. So you, now you do care exactly what I'm doing in terms of deploying a solution. And for us, the answer was no, we didn't have that solution deployed. But I was like, that was like within, that was within weeks of that issue. I'm curious if I, if we did, then what are, what would they have mandated as far as a remediation schedule or what have you, it would have been interesting, but that gets, that's like behind the curtain. Right. But then I was asked and it's part of our MSA that they can ask these questions. 
that I needed to show my hand and answer that. And I thought not every business is in that situation for sure, but in ours, there's so many implied trust relationships. And because we are stewards to safely handle our clients' information, they have an overarching and high need to make sure that we're doing that responsibly. Yeah, that was a fun one. The, for personal reference, while we're recording this with the Christmas tree in the background, which is awesome, the, this probably won't air, I don't think, until sometime January, February with where we're at. But for those who listen to this, retrospectively comment when you hear this episode on how OpenSSH impacted you over the Christmas holidays, please, since that's the current flavor of the day. Who knows, by the time we get off this call, it could be something even bigger. But I, I say that because... This is the other aspect I like and the things from a comms perspective that we have to have. There's mandates, especially in the field you're working in with critical infrastructure. There's new mandates around responsible disclosure. They came out courtesy of the pipeline issue, but now we've got newer ones. And now things over in Europe, also the chunk around how we're supposed to do disclosure now in these key environments, timeliness, uniqueness of that data. And then I say all that because the pipeline piece pushed us into this whole SBOM world, right? And I'm imagining as a company like y'all in particular, having a whole slew of vendors you're working with in critical infrastructure, I'm assuming the SBOM discussions and those conversations left, right of the vertical are probably both complicated as well as annoying at times. But is that something that y'all are seeing as a primary need to have, or is that just something that hopefully people have started coming to the table with? Yeah, we can, if we need to perspective. And if not, um, how do you get them to there? Uh, I think would be the final yeah, piece of that. I'd say it's probably more on demand than anything proactive. I'd say that's been typically the case. The, 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 I think maybe one of the other things that we've experienced, and this is connected to what you're talking about, is as an organization, we have, so I guess I'll step back. First, there's a roadmap of what we're doing helping people understand that it's continuous, that we don't do everything all at once. We cover the basics of what we need to, and then we have focus along the way. And that's limited in time or money to be able to address major security things. But what you're talking about is actually quite nuanced in that where's the discussion around risk? And risk for an organization comes in a bunch of different flavors. Certainly a big portion of that is centered around cyber risk for throughout an organization, the systems and again, users, devices, applications, right? That's, that's where the, it all sits, but the cadence for the discussions, um, like what you're talking about specifically for us is on demand. We internally, because we need to observe our SOC 2 controls, we have internal risk discussions annually. That's not nearly enough for a dynamic environment where stuff changes and there are vulnerabilities that are uncovered like within multiple per day. Some of them are blips and some of them are like, this is going to manifest into something very large, very quickly. And you've got to like really work through what your remediation strategy is depending on, on, on what it is. And it's, you can do that stuff on demand, which catches everybody off guard, or you can proactively summarize that and then figure out your audience level about where you do that. I'd say right now, 
as an organization, we do not proactively elevate those discussions to our clients. We're on demand if they want something from us, but we don't report out. And I'm a big believer that if you could, if you can talk about a cadence for something, you can set the future date for a conversation like, hey, let's do, let's do a vulnerability or threats update. And we're going to do it in three months, do it at the end of whatever Q1, step that date forward. And if there's not much to talk about, knock on wood, great. But chances are there's something to talk about and set the next future date where you're going to put in the minds of your stakeholder group, whether it, in our case, it's the management of our organization or the portfolio of clients that we have. I think being proactive in that space, I think it's super important. And I'm just reminded that it generally happens on an annual basis. And man, so much happens in a year. I mean, if we look back this year and say, okay, how, how did cyber security things play out in 2023? There are some big milestones there. Now, whether they impacted you or not doesn't negate the fact that they're, the fact that they're even there suggests that there needs to be a conversation that's more than once a year. Yeah, I agree. I think that's good. I appreciate it. So I'm going to, let's see where we're at. We're at about eight before the hour. I'm going to throw it back over to Elliot and see if he's got some other things. I, I've got a few more things I'd dive into, but they're like 15, 20 minute add-ons. So maybe we come back on <laughs> another day. But yeah, I, I just want to say do that. that just from my side, uh, I we haven't had a really good intermediary type personality on yet. And so this is a fun perspective because once again, from my role, I've played consultant, I've played professional services. I've also played consumer and producer. I've been left, right of the entire vertical over the last 20 years. And one of the most fun I personally have is sitting in the middle as some kind of intermediary, whether as a provider, service solutions provider that's taking like you're doing or a consultant. And I just, I think people really need to understand how that conversation is beneficial and it's important to have someone a trusted advisor in a sense, whether they're bringing tech or they're just bringing ideas either way or both in the mix, especially when you're first just really trying to blow things up and get things figured out in particular or revamp. I'm going to throw it back over to Elliot. Rockin'. Yeah. So you're spot on. We definitely could do it like an entire series about this. Maybe it'll be our spinoff series. I'll add a fourth series into the mix. But <laughs> I love the context here you have given a really clear vision of all the different attributes of things that trigger when you need to enhance, prioritize, shape the different directions that come from within and externally. I want to get really tactical. So obviously you are not the sole person that has to find the solutions. That would be a boondoggle. Obviously you are getting barked at constantly. So they're coming into you, but as you're going through that audit, you realize here's the priority roadmap of things that we need to solve. How do you work with your team to like divide and conquer? Of, hey, we've got to fix this problem. You go figure that out. What do we resolve that with? Is process, strategy, or tool, or combination? Hopefully a combination. But yeah, what does that tactically look like when you yeah. bring in your team to support it? So again, it goes probably mostly towards themes. So mm -hmm. I can share one that that was a big shift for us. A lot of organizations that run a fleet of systems 
will have some version often stalled out like we were, where we had a hybrid environment with our local domain controllers running Active Directory in a hybrid with Office 365. And this had persisted. It is not a quick project to just say, nope, we're moving to Azure AD and eliminating on-prem domain controllers like in directory mm-hmm. services. And so what we do is we pick a, a handful of themes that are prioritized. Uh, by the way, th- there's also heap tons of problems that come up that aren't security related sometimes that get solved when you're actually making a robust change in your security stance by adopting a different architecture for something. So there's all this that feeds into the decisions. And then team-wise, for our organization, we have a dedicated IT. We actually also have an, a dedicated information systems department. We draw the boundaries where the information systems department designs, develops, and deploys our software solutions that are consumed by our market participants and what have you. And that all exists in a hosted environment. Our IT department fills more of a traditional space that you would see in a lot of organizations, both big and small, of managing all the critical infrastructures of users, devices, and what I'll call the applications that are used to conduct business, but we don't develop those applications. And so that group is in charge, the IT department is in charge of looking at how are we going to solve these problems, whether it could be hey, what are we doing about security NS? Or what are we doing about migration to a, a full Azure AD, in this instance, uh, cloud directory service? How are we going to manage some of the very difficult things around mobile device management when you don't own the device, which is a really sticky one? Do you just get everybody a secondary device and disallow them to have any applications on their phone that touch company mm-hmm. information. Some of these are really big topics and difficult to orchestrate. We identify the themes, the IT group, then we have an IT director and then a collection of system administrators and others that will look at various market solutions. And we do engage with the market and get demonstrations of things. We do have some verticals where we actually engage in like an MSP or maybe a Cisco Mm -hmm. vendor that I'll call a a very advanced network vendor that helps walk us through some Mm -hmm. different ideas. And then there's the connection with the companies that ends up happening where we're like, okay, this is what we're looking for. And they, and we keep the messages because we get a lot of people knocking on the door saying, Hey, we can solve your single sign-on issues. Hey, we can give you better encryption management. Hey, we can give you persistent testing, virtual testing environment for penetration vulnerability testing. We, we get all kinds of stuff. So we have, I would say, a growing catalog of would-be vendors that are ready to help us. And so we will then go and talk with those vendors to get examples of demonstrations and understanding pricing, because that's a big deal. Some solutions are just like, would they be priced out from being able to afford it? And some are actually nominal where we're like, that's a no brainer. And we can actually cover that in this year's budget. So let's move. But in most cases, 
how I like to orchestrate is I always want a proof of concept before any deployment. So I need that from our vendors. Like you give me a, a space where I can do this because we have to prove it. And then the second big thing is making sure that they have some clients or customer referrals that I can talk to. If I don't have that, then I have very low confidence that it's something that these are decisions that last years and I can't bet on things that I can't talk to another person that has, from my perspective of the, the customer, can't, can't talk about. If I can't gain access to some group, and I know people will give their best references, but I need to be able to do that and validate that. And it will invalidate anyone's solution. They're like, hey, we just came to market. It's, I'm not sure I can bet in this space. And I need more certainty before we'll make that commitment. And you painted a wonderful picture, not just for our standard like practitioner audience, but like I know we have some vendors that listen because they reach out to me often to try to get on, but you tackle both sides of the coin here. So I really appreciate that your perspective is so important to this conversation. It actually reminds me of a past guest that we had, which is George Finney, if I didn't mess up his last name. He wrote a book called Project Zero Trust. And essentially, it's very similar, although you added additional layers into the mix where basically there was like a data breach and he created like this stretched reality narrative where something happened and it resulted in we need to deploy a zero trust strategy and it walked through these different elements that you just talked about. But I think the one piece missing was there was not like a valued partner outside that can walk you through that. Everything was done in-house. Anyways, mm. what I got out of this is there's definitely a internal committee. There's a higher arching prioritization system that dictates where everything goes. So it's all really interconnected. And at the end of the day, we want to quit just annoying the C-suite. I'm glad we at least hammered that point out. I, again, thank you so much for joining us. We're definitely towards the end of our hour, but this was so critical. We definitely need to continue the conversation. We can definitely expand upon it. I know Neil would probably double down on that too. Always, always. David, I appreciate your time, sir. Thank you again. Thank you. We'll have you back. We've got plenty of time. I'd be happy to visit more and... I appreciate the opportunity to, to share our perspective. Thanks. Love it. Thank you so much. All right. All right. Join us in two weeks for the next episode, everyone. <laughs> Thank you for joining AZT, an independent series. Your hosts have been Elliot Volkman and Neil Dennis. To learn more about Zero Trust, go to adoptingzerotrust.com. Subscribe to our newsletter or join our Slack community. Viewpoints expressed during the show do not reflect the brands, employers, or companies of our hosts, guests, or potential sponsors.